He's not here. He's actually right now at a at a conference for the American Essential Hospital. No, I have to be there at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. As soon as this meeting is over, I make my final decision. He's good. Yeah. to have people come in. And, I mean, unless you've had a drink with them, like with you, and you met their wife, you just don't know. That's right. We'll do that. We can do that. Easily done. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh my God! Look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Are those all different strengths too? Sure. Minus, minus one point out of two points. I have. I may have more. Do those work? Good afternoon. Welcome, trustees, to uh, finance committee after a month of vacation. Clerk, will you call the roll? Yes. Trustee Thompson. Present. Trustee Banerjee. Uh, present. Trustee Charlin. Present. Trustee Lawrence. Here. We have quorum. Thank you very much. First on the list is approval of the minutes from our July 6th meeting. Any comments from trustees? No. Then take a motion to approve, please. Second. Thank you very much. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? I don't hear. Pat. We've moved. So, Ira, how about our first contract? Absolutely. Um, I want to just offer up the opportunity to ask questions, unless you would like me to go through and present it um, in however way you would like. I just want to be sensitive to your time. Okay. I mean, I think it, the way I present loans is just I, I introduce the loan and say it's $22 million, and do you have any questions? And if there's anything I think that we really need to know about that's weird about it, you might want to let us know about that. You know, I kind of, if I'm introducing a loan, I'll say, you know, we're low on debt service coverage, but we expect it to be mitigated by something like that. But really just a really brief introduction, and then... I'll do my best. No, you're okay. great. So um, this is the contract with UCSF for our trauma and general surgery coverage. Um, it impacts both Highland as well as San Leandro. Um, it is a proposed renewal, and it is for a total of $22 million over a three-year proposed term. Um, the one thing that would be different here is that in addition to the carryover services, there is a proposed expansion into the provision of breast um, surgery services, as well as the expansion of a post-surgical <laughs> clinic for San Leandro Hospital. Those are the two main additions. There is one additional um, interest note, which is UCSF has been extremely cooperative and very helpful with us in their long relationship with us. One of the things that demonstrated this in excess, in my opinion, in the last contract that's about to expire was that when we affiliated with San Leandro in 2013, we found that we had a hole for coverage. And they stepped up, and I only found out about this relatively recently, there was no modification to the contract. They did not get any additional monies. They did this just of their own. And so in basically recognition of that, plus the fact that the services that they've all along been providing have basically been for more than the FTEs that were contemplated in the current contract, part of the increase that is being requested here is basically a recognition to true up for what we've always been getting and we never have. It's not retro pay, it's just going forward we're planning on paying for everything we're consuming. In addition, there is an increase for the expansion services for the breast surgery as well as for the post-op clinic. So I just wanted to be clear on that. 
they're in that question. So the, the was this the one with, I can't get this thing up, so I, I apologize. Is, this is the one that had the 10% the increase, was that? Um, this, it's I, over over the previous ones. It, I'm sorry, this this thing won't no, load here, um, so. In this case, actually, the increase nominally as a percentage would be 29%, um, and that is allocating for the truing up, if you will, for the services we have been obtaining without them being paid, as well as for the amount that is the new expansion services. I did the rough numbers on that. Of that delta, which is a reasonable sum of money, about 20% of that is allocable to the expansion services. The other 80% fully is attributed to the truing up for basically what we were getting all along and just never had basically been paying for. Okay? And maybe more to your point, for the carryover services as is, for the services of the FTEs they were providing, the increase that we're proposing just for them is 4.6%. And this is all on-call this is all, it's, it's a combination of on-call as well as staffing clinics right. for the um, elective surgical procedures and also they do um, staff and provide faculty for a residency for surgery. So they, they do many, many hats. And they weren't providing post-surgical clinics before, or is that new? The post-surgical clinics, um, I am not 100% on this. Dr. Jamaluddin can speak to it better, or he here, but my He's understanding... He's right behind you. Right. <clears throat> oh, well. There is. Sorry, I, I, uh, the question was uh, post-surgical clinics. Post yes, they do. They do provide this. Uh, we are also, as we are doing more surgery at San Leandro, we are uh, planning to expand this to accommodate post-op for patients who go to San Leandro. And we um, just uh, are trying also to increase our ambulatory surgery within Alameda Hospital. Great. Any other questions? Okay, let's go to 3B, extension of agreement with OCARE. Okay, all right, trying to summarize this one. Um, this is a proposed standalone agreement with OCARE that they provide expansion hospitalist services. And this is maybe a little bit different to square with the fact that you just approved several months ago the main agreement. Mm -hmm. And so what happened essentially was that while we were in the very belabored process of negotiating that renewal, um, an exigent need was identified by administration to get some additional hospitalist FTEs that weren't contemplated in the prior OCARE agreement. We couldn't essentially wait was the determination for the main renewal to go in place, so we put in place this contract effective January 1st of this year. As a consequence, of that, we had obtained the access to those um, providers, but unfortunately, one of the requirements OCARE had, for certain reasons I'll explain quickly, when they were negotiating the main renewal, was they wanted some certainty with regards to the contractual relationship for the expansion services, and so we agreed that as one of the contingencies to get to yes on the main agreement, that we would extend to be coterminous this expansion agreement with the ultimate renewal of the main agreement, which is what's essentially before you now. And as a consequence of that, that is why we find ourselves before you at this time. And I would say, in case anybody had asked, well, why didn't we just roll these services into the main right. agreement, which is exactly what I would ask, um, and I did, was because 
from a legal perspective, once you've entered into a contract for physician services, you need to let it go for at least a term of a year before you modify it. So as a consequence of that, and the fact that OCARE felt that they wanted to have relatively quick and expeditious resolution of their concern to have a coterminous agreement, we couldn't wait until the end of this calendar year, and they wouldn't have been happy with that. So we decided to do this. So it's a little odd, yes, but there's nothing at all inappropriate about it, and it will simply become coterminous. And the other element, it will now also be assigned to AHP, bringing everything with OCARE underneath the house of AHP. There is also no increase in serv um, services nor an increase in compensation. This is purely an extension and an assignment. Okay. Any questions? Those are the elements. Okay, let's move to uh, 3C, please. <coughs> University of the Pacific. Are we voting on these individually? No, we're going to just wrap them up at the end. That's okay with you? That's what we tend to do. No, because I'm going to vote no on this. Oh, absolutely. Then let's go back and um, go back to 3A. Can we have um, a, a motion to move 3A? I move approval. Need a second, please. I'm safe. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Right. No? 3B, need a motion, please. Uh, I move approval. I'll second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any no's? No. Any abstentions? Okay, thank you. Um, okay, uh, University of um, Pacific. University of Pacific. Um, the proposed agreement here would be a renewal of an arrangement under which they provide oral and maxillofacial services as well as provide um, staffing for our residency program. This is a proposed renewal um, and one of the main elements that might be of interest is that it is going to be approximately a 10% increase. The reason for this large increase, if you will, is that they have not received an increase in compensation for four years since 2013. So basically looking back in time, it was judged and determined to be both appropriate and consistent with fair market value. Um, there are no expansion services in this. One thing that also helped justify the increase in our opinion was their contributions to helping revise our service delivery model in a way that has had positive impacts on both patient satisfaction, quality of care, and increasing throughput, albeit by a 25% increase in patient visits in that last four-year period. And why did they not have uh, compensation earlier? Um, as I understand it, that contract was entered into and it did not contemplate what I normally think of as annual escalators, which are normal in the industry in my prior experience. Why they were not included, I do not know. My understanding is they had not approached us about an increase until we broached discussions of the impending renewal at this time. So in that case, I don't know why they didn't ask. So, so if you look at the the ten percent increase and you put it over the years, so basically they are getting a two point five increase every year that they've been in this contract. I, I would say that that is an appropriate way to look at okay. this. Okay, yes. and, and how does that compare to the other contracts and and that we have given other organizations? It actually is rather difficult to compare because each contract is negotiated on its own, if you will. Um, some of them have an insist on escalators. If some of them don't ask for an escalator, we give them what we think is a fair price that's supportable by budget. And for instance, if it's a two-year agreement, they don't ask for an escalator, we will just put the contract that way. Usually most entities, especially if they have prior experience with negotiating and if they're going into a multi-year agreement, will be asking for an escalator in mid-year or they will be asking for more up front to lock in over the term of that agreement. 
but we are driven a bit by the reactivity of the negotiating partner, and we do our best to get the best deal we can for our organization, of course. So, Ira, can you give another reason besides the fact that they didn't get a compensation earlier that we should give it a 10% increase at this point? In this case, um, I mean, because the, they didn't, they didn't ask for the that's escalator. Their problem, not ours. That, that's, that's how I see it. So why? They did, but um, one thing I omitted and I should have not omitted was that when they came to the table for the negotiation, they asked for ever so much more than this. They asked, this was an appreciable climb down from what they asked for. This, I believe, if I look at it, seven hundred thousand for the first year. They wanted one point four. So they 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 were just that was what they asked for, and so we negotiated back and forth. We took under consideration their contribution to our performance increases and their long-term relationship, and we also look at always with regards to fair market value and what's commercially reasonable. When all of those respects were looked at, we came out that this was very positive, not only to our budget, but it was from a objective fashion compared to all of our peers who purchase similar services in this region, that they were purchasing at a percentile that was not only within fair market, but it was substantially within it, let's put it that way, without giving away too much. And the service did a redesign that had the same day drop in and the mm -hmm. and all of those decreasing the throughput and all of yes. that. So all of those elements all are of those factors go all of that goes into our decision matrix, if you will. And in this case it resulted in the answer that was before you. But also we don't just stop at saying we think this is a reasonable thing, but you know, we did our best and of course they came to the table with one hundred percent greater offer than what we were ultimately able to pull. It was still an increase, ten percent as you indicate, over the prior agreement, but after four years have passed there seems to be a certain rationality to that argument that's difficult at a certain point to be able to really puncture. Well it's not a rationale that I buy, but but I can I I understand your position. Um, so then let me ask this. It, it, what kind of precedent does a 10% increase give to, other, to others as we go through this? I would say that, first of all, you have to be aware of it. And of course, people can stream this conversation, et cetera, so everything ultimately is discoverable. But we don't go around shouting it from the rooftops. Um, number two, with regards to the comparison of, do we have any other contracts for similar specialties and similar services that are even truly comparable, it starts to become more and more difficult to truly ascertain what would be a fair amount as opposed to not fair. Um, and essentially that would be the main element I have. We haven't had an experience with a number of other providers coming in saying in negotiations, you gave X to such and such. I mean, theoretically they could, but it so far has not happened. The one caveat would be you have to be sensitive if you're negotiating multiple agreements for the same services with individual entities, then of course that's going to be, we're going to give everybody the same offer. What happens if we don't um, approve this? What's the fallback? If you don't approve it, I don't know exactly what the fallback would be. We would have to obviously regroup. We would look at our options. We could explore with them that our board had declined and see if they would be willing to take a lower amount. Um, in that eventuality, I'd probably try to ascertain from the board if there was a level of increase they thought was more supportable, and then we could turn that into a counter offer. Um, the flip side of that is we could also say they're not going to play ball. We'd have to look at somebody else 
I'm not sure right now if we know who that somebody would be or that we're prepared. I would defer to Dr. Jamaluddin to speak more specifically on that element if you'd like. I just want to highlight the fact that we have had a substantial increase in uh, volume, in clinic volume and in uh, the volume of uh, ambulatory surgery done by this group. Uh, they work with residents and they deliver all care uh, and maximum facial clinic that we have now. Uh, I don't uh, recall exactly the number, but the curve has been going up to the point right now we have to find larger space and accommodate more time and so on. So they have been really productive every day. Yeah, it, it says here 25% increase in patient visits during the past, during the last contract term. Um, and are, do they cover for trauma too? They do, yeah. They do cover for trauma 24-7. Um, if I could also add, one of the steps that we perform is um, to compare the contract to a fair market value analysis, and we don't really like to talk about that in public, but we satisfied ourselves that we thought this was a, a very appropriate and attractive rate. So we've looked at the benchmarking from yeah. MGMA and other yeah. sources to be able yeah. to compare. Yeah. yeah. We, we have had services. Well, I approval. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to highlight that we have had services uh, uh, that we have decreased uh, the, the cost, uh, especially in the care contracts of specialties when we compare to fair market value. We have had services that were at a high level and we came down on those. Well, so much for the first best deal we've ever cut in this health system. We're giving it back. But uh, we have a first and a second. Um, all opposed? Aye. Aye. Any um, no's? I'm sorry, all in favor? Any opposed? Any abstentions? Um, we'll carry that. Thank you very much, Ira. How about three okay. D, please? Okay. Um, Luis, do you wish to present on this? Sure, thank you. So this is uh, yes. actually the next two items are linked together, but we'll speak to the first one, which is Colin Construction Company. This is for uh, the design, build, and installation of a new CT scanner at Alameda Hospital. The unit there at Alameda is extremely old. Uh, we have continuous challenges with the image quality of the, of the system. Alameda is a stroke center, and uh, you know they depend heavily on the CT scanner. This is uh, the, we've been planning this for the last uh, couple of, of years, and, and we've allocated the capital. We're looking at bringing in a brand new CT scanner that meets all the criteria for our cardiologists that, uh, and neurologists that do all the work out at Alameda. Uh, so this is specifically just for the design, build, and installation of that piece of equipment through calling construction. We're doing this under their uh, master services agreement under a scope of work. They are currently supporting us with the SimLab construction, which is currently underway, and they also assisted us with an ATS repair earlier this year. That was an emergency. Of emergency. There was a failure at Alameda Hospital, and that was repaired, which was um, a, not a, a significant amount. But uh, we're looking at a total cost of uh, $525,199.40. $525, Can I ask a question before we vote on this? Yes, sir. Um, a CAT scan is only $800,000? Uh, I'm going to 3E. Mm -hmm. This particular CAT scanner, yes. Seems really cheap or well, inexpensive. It's it's a lot of times it's dependent on the excel, uh, the the, the um, additional equipment and add-ons that you put on the CT scanner. There's different components that you can add on for specific procedures and things that you can do. Um, so it, it varies and it depends on, on well, certainly manufacturer, uh, but also I think on some of your additional components that you can 
uh, incorporate with a piece of equipment. But this is something that has been completely reviewed and vetted by our, by our physicians. So there's not going to be another request for a million dollars for the add-ons, the power cord. Is this the scanner, or is the, <laughs> is this the design for the scanner? No, uh, no they're, 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 the first one is a design, the second one is a Well, I didn't want to ask for approval of a building to know that, well, it's really not $800,000 CAT scan, it's really $3 million, and the rest is coming next meeting. So that's why no. I jumped the gun a little bit. So no, so the, that's why I said that they're linked, they go together. We're, 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 what we've done is we've taken the approach of doing a owner-furnished contractor installed, Okay. Uh, process so we can make sure that we bring in the piece of equipment that we're looking for that's been reviewed and vetted by our providers, our physicians that use the pieces of equipment. Uh, so that's why we have them as two separate uh, uh, agreements here. But we're purchasing the one from GE for $805,000 as well as um, as well as the construction design build and installation for okay. uh, Colin Construction. So they go hand in yeah. hand. But to answer your question, we are not anticipating any type of change of that nature that we'll be coming back for. This is what's been included as part of the pricing. This includes everything plus a one-year warranty upon delivery of piece of equipment. And what's the serviceable life of the CAT scanner by March? Well, the last one we had for 13 years. <laughs> uh, again, it, it, technology changes very rapidly. Uh, I would say that the CT scanner should, at minimum, have a 10-year life. Um, but again, everything is subject to uh, okay. utilization. What's involved in the design and construction for the scanner? Well, so there are, we have to take the current footprint where we have the CT scanner. You have to make adjustments for, you know, their power supply, the layout and configuration of the piece of equipment. Uh, there's, uh, for the technologists, there's a control room that needs to be evaluated with new equipment that's installed. So it's, it's a strong collaboration between the manufacturer, GE, and then the contractor, GE doesn't do the installation of the construction, they do the startup, they do the verification, <coughs> they do the validation, but you need to have a contractor that does the work. So there is a physical footprint uh, work, it's, it's not significant, but there is some, some work that needs to be done in the footprint to accommodate the new piece of equipment, because it's not like for like. 13 years ago, the footprint was maybe much larger. Now a newer piece of equipment is a little smaller, so you've got them, you know, the, the, the anchoring, the, the placement, the connection, the power supply, all those are, are relatively different from the old piece of equipment. So all that is managed by the contractor and is done under design build where you're looking at drawings, you're looking at permits, you're looking at OSHPAR approvals, right. and that's what the contractor will do. And there were probably It's a bit of a racket, but if you don't do it, you end up like Muni with the trains that look all new but uh, too heavy for the tracks, and then you've got to rebuild the track. So <laughs> okay. it's a good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> You've had some Title 22 changes, haven't you, since the first scanner went in, and that probably is, is driving some modifications. Absolutely. In fact, in January 1st, 2017, there was new regulations that came out which required CT scanner to function in a certain capacity, you know, in a certain way, uh, really focusing on low dosage radiation, focusing yeah. on, on uh, exposure. Uh, so all that is uh, is is captured under this new. Uh, and CT has the price dropped on CTs? I thought the price was starting to come down a bit on CTs, especially it was 13 years ago. Right? It has. I mean, you know, I think that again with technology, with changes, and you know how things are improving, uh, we're seeing uh, CT scanners are are good. But now you're looking at you know much more sophisticated 3D imaging, and you're looking at at uh, other pieces of equipment that are certainly driving the price down on CT right. scanners, but they're still essential to the work that's done, especially yeah. for an emergency service. Yeah, a lot cheaper MRIs can do. Yes. Yeah. So, so and what's the time line for this? When, when does the uh, work commence? If the, the contract goes 
But once the contract is approved, then we're looking at um, the total. The total project schedule, I believe, is twenty nineteen. Yeah. About a year. About a year. During the year, are we without a CTO? No. So no. what happens during that year? No, so what we do is we will, I mean, certainly we, we have a um, we have a portable unit that we're currently doing MRIs at the facility and we're, we can have a portable unit that will support the, you know, the needs. Mm -hmm. um, equally, we can, if we needed to, we can transfer patients to our other facilities where we have our CT scanners. So, but so no, you're bringing a truck or how do you do the portable? It's a trailer. Yeah. It's a big trailer. trailer yeah. yeah. Okay. Which we do currently, but for MRI services, we don't okay. have one yeah. out there. Yeah. Okay, any other questions on the Collin Construction Company contract? If not, I'll take a motion, please. I move approval. Second, please. Second. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? Thank you very much. If you'll finish with The next uh, one is, we've talked about the CT scanner itself, uh, but the second component to this agreement is actually rolling in uh, Alameda Hospital. Uh, if, if, as you all well know, Alameda Hospital, when it became part of, Alameda, of the system, uh, they had their own legacy agreement. And so now what we're doing is that agreement was expiring. And what we are doing is essentially tying it to our master services agreement for the entire system. So we're just rolling in Alameda. This is services and maintenance for all medical equipment uh, at the hospital and it's making it coterminous with our existing master services agreement here at, uh, uh, for the system. Mm -hmm. So that's what this is here. Okay. Um, one point of order. This particular item says under fiscal implications, this has been included in the 2018 budget, but there's also one that says there are no financial implications for, yeah, there are no negative financial implications. Uh, can we have it? Emphatically, this has been included and approved in the 2018 budget. Yes, it has. Okay, it's not it in this document. It's not in write it. Okay. okay. Um, under the GE Healthcare, if you could just okay. put on anything that's okay. so I don't have to ask, is this included in the budget? It is included yeah. in the budget. We'll make sure we include that. That's great. That, that would be a great line of information. Okay. Okay. I'll take a motion to move that. So moved. All in favor? Aye. Any Aye. opposed? Mm. Abstentions? Mr. Cox, we're ready for you, but I wanted to, um, you know, introduce this portion of your program that, uh, you know, I'm not sure we can afford to take another month off because when we last met in July, we were looking at a year-end, fiscal year-end EBITDA at 6.5 and we ended at 5.5. Um, we had lots of rosy uh, predictions for um, the beginning of this year and in one month of recess um, until I spent too many years in the U.S. Senate. Um, that uh, the last month of our fiscal year we blew and the first month of the new fiscal year we blew. Um, our expenses are out of control. We have a department that has 67 um, full-time equivalents over budget. Um, so, welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be back. Uh, we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, we've got about another hour. <clears throat> uh, we've got the June statements to review, uh, then July. Uh, and then a really important item, which is this um, EMR financing oh, discussion, sorry. which is going to set us up for a de decision later this year. And uh, we've got a space planning issue as well. But um, what I've done is I've created a PowerPoint for you that just sort of marches right through the, the written package that you have uh, so we can kind of bounce back and forth. But 
uh, and get into as much detail as you want. Um, I started, thought I'd start with June and just give you the very high level summary of what's in your document. Uh, so as you indicated, uh, we did have a relatively poor uh, June uh, based on um, volumes were down, expenses were up. Uh, that was uh, unfortunate. Um, for the year, we produced an operating income of 38 million. That's below the budget of 47 and below the prior year of 63. Uh, EBITDA margin did end up to be 5.5% uh, below the budget and below prior year. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to mention that as we were closing the books, we got uh, the actuarial report from uh, ACERA. Uh, that resulted in about $5 million of additional uh, pension expenses. It's something we tried to estimate, but we came in a little bit low. It's basically because their performance wasn't as good as they had anticipated. Uh, there was another $5 million that we elected to put below the line related to what's called OPEB, which is other uh, pension-related uh, benefits, uh, typically things like health care. Uh, post-employee point health care <clears throat> that we put below. I, I didn't think we had time to talk about tonight, and you're going to hear about it later when the auditors showed up, so I just wanted you to be aware of that. Um, the um, uh, activity uh, for the year was sort of mixed. The um, uh, patient discharges were below budget by about 7.8% and below prior year. So that's something we're going to talk about a little bit later when we talk about market share. Typically, health systems pay a lot of attention to uh, discharges, even more than patient days, uh, particularly in a managed care environment. And we're talking about moving into a managed care environment with population health. Uh, so that's, uh, that's something that we should be watching. Uh, the census was below budget, uh, but above actually above prior years. So in terms of you know, actual heads and beds, we had 3.7% more than last year. Uh, Post-acute census was, um, you know, pretty much right on full occupancy, which you'd expect for skilled nursing. And then uh, ambulatory visits were below budget by 9.4 uh, and just slightly above uh, prior year. So we keep talking about the importance of expanding access. We're making incremental progress, but, um, um, you know, that's got to be a priority for us. Uh, in terms of revenue, we David, did Excuse me, before you move on to revenue, can, can you give um, any kind of hypothesis of why you think these, these figures turned out the way? I mean, why do you think discharge is so much higher than it's been in the past? Um, you know, it's hard um, to predict the daily census. And yeah, I, I don't know and I don't want to speculate. Um, uh, I think that uh, from what the information I have seen, which is quarterly data that's published by you know, Trade Association, it, it appears that the market is growing about 3% a year in terms of total discharges. So the fact that our discharges are going down would imply that we're losing market share. I, I don't know why that is yet. I how do we, we've been talking about it as long as I've been chair of this committee, how do we finally, do we need to hire someone? Does the executive team need to spend a day to focus on it? Because all of our numbers since I've been chair of this committee show that we're losing market share. Yeah, and, we, and no one has said we're losing market share. Yeah, so. it's, it's something that you really need to do the analytics. Uh, very fortunately, we have Ishwari with us who has yeah. done this. Uh, she needs an analytical tool called SG2. Uh, which we used to have, but we terminated the contract because we weren't using it. We're trying to bring that contract back, and it's going through the process. I think it's going to get done within a week or two. As soon as that happens, we can turn her loose, and she knows exactly what needs to be done. 
Okay. To answer that question. So if we compared these discharges and our average daily census to other local healthcare mm -hmm. facilities, yep. other hospitals, yes. and are they experiencing the same downturn or they're experiencing a, a, a something different in terms of our um, discharges? It, it, it varies. You're seeing uh, Kaiser and Sutter devour the market, and you're seeing St. Rose lose market share. Um, and I think Washington is kind of holding their own. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily talking yeah. about kind of market share, but it, it yeah. has there been a, a general kind of decrease in admissions, you know? No, there's and actually, there, there's actually been a, a general increase in oh, total admissions in okay. about 3% year over year in the, in the market in total. Well, I'm just kind of looking at, you know, where we are in terms of also kind of the, the couple of prior months. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether... You know, there, there are other factors that sometimes drive admissions, yeah. right? Yeah. And whether all of the other hospitals in the region are experiencing similar issues with census, you know. Yeah, well, I, I, as we're looking at the, we did get quarterly reports, the census at Sutter and Kaiser is increasing. Okay. And our trend has been our discharges, average daily census, um, have been trending low. Flatter, flatter down. Month after right. month, right. so this yeah. is not an anomaly. Yeah. yeah. So it's something we need to pay attention to, and we, we know how to do yeah, it. We need to get this tool in place, and I think we can do it yeah. fairly, fairly quickly. Why are, why are medical supplies up 30% when we have fewer patients? Are people taking the stuff home for the school kids, or what? It's a million dollar question. Uh, it's a fair question, but I would say that I mean it's you know, one of the one of the drivers for that is your acuity of the patients. I mean, so we may have less patients, but we have sicker patients, so they're staying a little longer, so they require more supplies. I mean, that's that's one of the drivers. I mean, it could be just strictly based on acuity of the patients. Okay. I mean, we are seeing sicker patients. Good hospital, hospital administrator answer. Uh, I was, totally. I was, I was no, no, I'm Pharmaceuticals are up twenty percent. Medical supplies are up thirty percent. Um, you know, GA, GA and A is up thirty. Uh, DNA services 22, so these are all like in double digit numbers where from what was budgeted or estimated, so like off by more than 25% each one of these. So that's, I think, where you feel like where the other things come in so much below the estimated, but the other things are like 25, 30, 35% over the estimated. Any idea? Does the budget? You know, what was the um, budget oversight kind of like look at these and you know, monthly? How do you all, you know, discuss these in um, in terms of like course correction or <coughs> trends? No, so we do. We uh, obviously the reports go out to all the leadership, uh, all the you know the CAOs that are responsible for the different sites. Uh, uh, are you know they closely monitor and review every single one of the you know the variances that they have within their their budgets David and I co-chair a committee budget oversight and budget variance where we look at what's happening here what are some of the drivers for for uh, you know these, these discrepancies or these variances how often does that committee meet monthly okay. monthly so we're looking at everything that's happening and uh, and then we, we take action we, we address you know the concerns or the issues and we you know, make sure that, uh, that you know, the staff is aware that they need to bring this back in line and that we're going to come back to the budget uh, uh, in future months. So, again, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it, this is something that, um, that we should be able to see in our case mix index, but I can tell you that uh, here over the last 
uh, month, you know, and I wish Dr. Jamani was here, but I mean, one of the things that we have been seeing is um, our patients have been staying a little longer. We've seen, we're seeing sicker patients. They're, you know, they're staying in, in our critical areas, and that's just, that drives some of these uh, additional expenses and supplies. So, again, pharmaceuticals ties directly into that. Um, so, but we do, we manage that and we're monitoring that very closely. Well, length of stay also would affect the average daily census, right? Yes. But I mean, that seems to be. So what's, the length of stay hasn't changed, has it? Our length of stay has, has, has changed. How uh, much? By how much? Well, we're usually at, uh, uh, what is it? Well, we, we, we averaged, uh, this for the system, 5.3 5 for the year, and we were 5.1, or 4.9 last year, so it has increased by 8%. Okay. But, but again, in the managed care environment, that's not always, you know. An average daily census is still below budget as well. David, are you worried? Um, I, I don't know what you mean by that. Say yes, yeah, okay. Well, I'm concerned. I'm, I, I'm a, I, I'm a, my wife calls me whiskers because I, I tend to, there's a Saturday Night Live skit where one of the guys has whiskers and he worries about everything. <laughs> she calls me whiskers. But so I'm a professional warrior, yeah, sure. That's, well, it's not, that, that's not who unusual. we want dealing with the budget, <laughs> frankly. So. Okay. I mean, at some point, I don't know if it's now or 20 minutes from now, but at some point we, we're going to need to come to grips with um, mandatory expense control. I mean, our support services numbers are astronomical. Um, we're building a health system that apparently people aren't coming to in some respects. Um, and our expenses are, are out of control. And for a year, we've not been able to get them in control. So anyway, uh, I don't know if we need to bring someone in to do a Help us, but anyway, go ahead. Well, we're we're going to talk about, um, you know, I mean, I mean <clears throat> clearly from yeah, board perspective, you know, you're sitting here getting ready to make this $200 million decision saying, gee, can we, can we pay for that and wanting to have some assurance that we can. And the management team has met on that. We're going to talk about it and say that, you know, uh, status quo really will not get the job done and there's going to have to be some interventions here. And we're prepared to talk about that. So, yeah. Okay, well, to get, to get through this then, revenue yep. did exceed budget, which we're very happy about. Uh, and we just talked about expenses, so I'll jump through that. So that's June. Now we can go through that in detail. Uh, one thing I wanted to cover and check off the agenda is the metric report. That's what this is. And it kind of, um, uh, I think you've seen this before, but you've got big areas like access, which is discharges, market share, revenue, expenses, cash flow, and some other ratios. And you've got some historical, what the budget is, and then some comparisons to benchmarks. Now we're looking at the benchmarks. I know that the board would love to have benchmarks on every single one of these items. That's not always possible, but we're trying to pull things out. And Luis is uh, leading an um, initiative to get a very detailed uh, departmental benchmarking system in place throughout the organization for you know, productivity, quality, other things like that. So uh, this is where we are today and uh, kind of um, reflects the numbers we just talked about. So I'm happy to go through that in detail or we can, we can move on. I think you can move on. Okay. The next series of slides go through a little bit more detail. Um, this is, again, uh, operating performance at a summary level, and it's got on the bottom a little bit more information on um, the statistics we're just talking about in terms of census, so I don't think that we need to necessarily go through that again. 
Uh, and then here's more information on revenue. Now the thing, the thing here is to note that um, the big trends are that um, gross charges were up. Gross charges is like a proxy for um, growth. Okay, because we put a 5% rate increase, we increased 1.8% for the year, so that, or 6.8, so that says a net, there's probably 1.8% of volume increase year over year, which is good, because you want to grow, and I'm going to talk about this when we get to the financial plan, you really want to be growing, because everything is easier if the organization is growing versus contracting. Uh, so we grew about 1.8%, we raised rates, and, but, but revenue actually improved, net patient revenue improved by almost 9%. So we had improvement in the revenue cycle of, you know, maybe, um, you know, 7% or so. That's good. We like that. Um, supplemental reimbursement actually decreased. Okay, now one of the reasons for that is that we got information during the year that the old Medi-Cal waiver, the money we've received, some of that may have to be paid back, and it could be a big number. So we wanted to be fully reserved for that going in, and we did that. Uh, but really, going forward, absent favorable surprises on supplemental reimbursement, we're going to see supplemental reimbursement start going down. Yeah. And it's going to convert from a check based on cost to a check based on performance mm -hmm. against various metrics. So it's really important that we convert to a system that understands those incentives and can deliver on things like quality metrics, volume met metrics, things like that. Okay? Uh, but overall, we did, did well on, on revenue. And in, in particular, the thing I look at is um, down here, this number, 31%. That says, given the revenue, the gross charges we had, how much of that did we convert into net revenue? 31% is good, because I thought it was going to be around 29 right here, which is the budget. And so that's good. So I'm very happy with that performance this year. Okay. And then uh, expenses, I think you've already um, gone through that. So uh, the key things are obviously the, the total growth, which was 8%, and then things like these key ratios. Okay, so paid FTEs per AOB, 4.4, budget's 4.2, last year's 3.9, worked hours, 21.6, 20.2, and 19.5. And then the compensation ratio, which is really important, which is salary, wages, and benefits, yeah. including registry, divided by net revenue. Uh, we've talked in the past, if you were here during the uh, uh, turnaround, we said we want to get that, that down to 60%, so we got down to 62 now it's starting to creep up again, so 64.8%. Okay. Was it so high in June because our revenues are, were so bad? Yeah. Yeah, obviously if revenues are bad, then it's... And, and that's why volume is so important, because um, <clears throat> health systems, you know, even the good ones, if they flex, they're probably flexing a third of their expenses, in, you know, in a month. And that's the high-performing organization. We're actually, you know, we don't really flex that. So, yeah, unless you're a tech so, or consulting company, um, <clears throat> revenues, increase in revenues cures yeah. almost all bills. Yeah, so if, if you're growing, if revenue's improving, it's much easier to make the financial plan work than the reverse. Okay. <clears throat> um, we had a very good year in cash collections. Uh, we're up uh, $53 million, or about 9%, so very happy with that. Days in AR are in good shape, <clears throat> uh, below 60, which was uh, a target. A few years ago, it was to get below 60, so we are. So very happy about that. 
<clears throat> and we finished the year compliant with our line of credit. We finished at 105.5. We didn't have to use the advance from the alliance. Um, so that's very good. Got a nice note from Steve on that. And where are we expecting the big chunk of money to pay it down in uh, October? Excuse me, November. Um, these are the receipts of the. Um, no, keep going to the right. Okay, there this, we go. Yeah. This, yeah, there's actually two things here. One is the same, same principle, which is MCE to cost. So oh, this right. is fiscal yep. 16, this is fiscal 17. Okay, okay. I and knew it was coming. I just thought and it was going to be the soon. Last time I think I gave you this forecast, we thought they'd both be right in here. Correct. Yeah. And then this one's getting pushed out. Mm -hmm. So we're like, eh. Okay, we're going to need it. Okay, all right. But anyway, uh, expecting the end of the year at about 65 million, and that includes the all the capital projects that you see coming through. It includes capital. Yes, includes capital. Yeah. Not EHR. Not the EHR. No. Uh, part of the HR. But not, not, yeah, we, we put um, some into the capital plan. I, I can show you that in a few minutes. We'll get there. Six, seven, okay. Uh, moving to July, uh, again, disappointing month. Uh, we're just just a slight profit, 94,000. Uh, even a margin is 1.5. Uh, got off to a slow year, uh, slow month. Um, discharges 8% below budget. Days below budget. Uh, Post-cute sense is pretty close. Clinic visits 8% below, and then actually adjusted patient days were above budget. Now, that's a calculated number. has to do with gross charges. Um, we are seeing a pickup in professional services, which affects us, but also how we applied the, um, the rate increase has an effect on this number. So you kind of have to look at all of it together. Yeah, but they're all bad except for one. Yeah, but okay. yeah, yeah it, was, it, was a, it was a down month, clearly. Um, Okay, so uh, revenues, of course, were then below budget uh, by about 7%, and uh, gross charges were below by 8.9, so we've got a um, good, still a good collection ratio, 30.3, that's above budget, that's good, good indicator, and then expenses were favorable to budget by 5.4, or $4.5 million, and paid FDEs were favorable by 3.9. So the problem here is that even though expenses were below budget, volume was down, and uh, that produced an overall unfavorable variance on the bottom line. And then what I've done, here's your metric report. Again, you'll keep seeing this every month. Uh, and then I do the same thing here. I talk about the overall loss. You can, uh, and, I, and this one thing I did is I just added some verbiage so you don't have to just look at the numbers if you don't want. So, so this says patient activity was low. Okay, uh, continue the trend for May. Uh, here on revenues, we're below budget by 7.3, but uh, really because of volume, we think the revenue cycle is working. And then expenses, you can see the positive variance here, 5.4%, um, and uh, generally positive all the way down, um, with the exception of uh, registry being over by eight. Um, and then, oh, and one thing to well, note. Better than 770% like all of last year. So well, so. recall last year we budgeted registry very yeah, well. We made a potential effort to budget registry, which we thought was actually going to be, and take it out of salaries. Why is it our accounts receivable aging jumped way over 5% in July? Over 270 days? Uh, it's showing like 7% when the month before it was like 3 I'm sorry, the aging? I don't accounts know. receivable aging. Yeah. Okay, let me... Uh, Okay, I didn't think that it changed. It was page five of the board, no, 48 of the board book. Okay, let me just grab that real quick. It shouldn't be it. Compared to June where it was uh, below. 
page 32 of the board book is the mm -hmm. June figure, and then page 48 is the July figure. And you'll see your little graph, it's way under five, and then all of a sudden it's jumped way over five. I'm, I'm just not, uh, I'm not seeing it, I'm sorry. Oh, this, the over 27. Correct. Um, I'll have to research it. Okay. I'll have to research it. I'm sorry. Okay. Nice catch. Good question. Uh, okay. So, um, of course, the purpose of giving you monthly financial reports is so you have a good grounding on how we're actually doing. So then you can, when you get to thinking about planning, you kind of connect the dots. And that's about what we're going to do, doing right now. Okay, so we're going to talk about the EMR financing. So, the, um, so s subsequent to our last meeting. Any questions on June or July financials, trustees, before we go into? Uh, I can hold it till afterwards. Okay, okay. Um, okay, so we have a major project coming up in front of us. Uh, we're currently planning to get it in front of you around November, so a couple months out. There are a lot of. Can I interrupt you? Because sure. on, on the agenda it says benchmarking systems sustainability is next on the agenda. Benchmarking systems, and and that I believe is the um, is the benchmark report, that metric report. So Correct. I sort of incorporated it in there, and but we can I can. Into the EMR. No. Um, oh, into no, your no, presentation. No, no. Yeah, okay. those benchmarking key metric yeah. reports. That's what that was. So, okay. so we don't need to discuss that. I don't think so. Okay. I thought in the interest of time, it'd be easier Great. just to go ahead. Incorporate it. I'm sorry for interrupting. No problem. Uh, so there's some big, major components, moving parts that we need to talk about. You need to understand each of them to prepare yourselves to consider this issue. Uh, the first is how much this is going to cost. And even more importantly, when does it need to be paid? Okay, because cash, cash is sort of king in you do these things. Uh, second thing is philanthropy and what other sources of money we can have coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, we also need to think about the other capital needs, uh, cash needs we're going to have. Uh, you need to have confidence in your operating plan. Okay, so if we say we're going to hit 6%, in a certain year, you got to have confidence that we can do that because you obviously you'd be making the commitment before the performance occurs, and if the performance doesn't occur, there's going to be a shortfall, which has consequences. You need to be prepared for that and, pre and really plan for it. Uh, and then um, the ability to accommodate all of this together within our primary credit facility, which is with the uh, county. Okay, so I'm going to kind of walk through that step by step. Uh, the first thing we do is talk about the total cost of ownership. So the cost of this, this is the incremental cost over and above what we're currently doing and netting out anything we're going to stop doing after we make the conversion. So for example, we put an Epic, Cerner goes away, take that, take that out, okay, what's the difference? And how did we determine the total cost of ownership? Uh, what we did is we contracted with uh, Lidos which is this consulting company we use, and we had them, they have a model. And uh, a big thing was to make sure we identified all of the things, because I, I don't know if you remember, but I think a year and a half ago, you know, somebody can say, oh, we can have a new EMR for $50 million. Great. You know, well, actually not, 
because once you identify all the internal resources mm -hmm. and third-party systems you've got to buy and interfaces and implementation that you have to pay for and things like that. And additional FTEs. FTEs, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot. So uh, $226 million over 10 years, so about $23 million a year. The problem is this is when the cash is required right mm -hmm. here. It's all front-loaded, mm -hmm. okay? Now, I don't know if you recall, but when we had our initial financial plan back in January or so, we said, okay, well, we think it's going to cost like this, 25, 40, 30, 10, 20. Uh, we think we're going to negotiate a deferral of the cost to put it in the future year, spread it over 10 years. So in terms of cash outlay, we'd be 15, 20, 25, 30, and then 20. That's what we had in our plan right there, that line. Well, the actual proposal that is on the table, and we haven't finished negotiations, but it's... Proposal from them, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, from them and our estimate of our own costs and everything else. It's more like 45, 73, 40, 11, and 12, which means we need 30 million more here, 53 million more there, 16 million there, and then we start getting positive, okay? But the problem is if you add this up, you see within the first three years, including this year, basically $100 million. So we need an extra $100 million over what we thought. Now we're gonna, again, we're gonna try to get the total cost down and try to spread this out. Okay, now we haven't completed that yet, but it's, we've just started negotiations and that issue is on the table and everybody's aware of it and we're, you know, by the Do time any of these numbers include the operational performance deficits that will occur when you're installing something like this? No, and I, I'm can't recall if I, I, I can't recall if I put this yeah. in or not, but it's a good point because last time we did this, accounts receivable went from 60 days to 120 right. days, and I forget the number, but it was like, I don't know, $90 million. So the, and you know, it pushed the organization into a position where it was in, essentially in default mm -hmm. on its credit agreement, which created a lot of angst and issues and had to be resolved. That could happen again. It's pretty common. Now, you know, we're going to plan. Uh, we're, I think we're going to do a good job. I would, I, even with that, I wouldn't be surprised to see 10 or 15 days pop up. You know, go from 60 days up to 75. So, so why wouldn't you, knowing that that's a likelihood? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we don't know for sure, but, but based on experience. So why isn't, the, why isn't that in those numbers? Uh, it's, gonna, it's sort of elsewhere in the forecast because we are going to get to it when we talk about well, how much credit. Because it's not a cost because you sort of get the money back. Okay, like if, if days increase from 60 to 75, 15 days, that's 30 million. But there are costs besides AR that would... That but it is money that you need to, if I'm understanding this, isn't it money that you need to have up front because you're talking about the payment of this? So... Yes. I can I can show you where that is. Okay. In a minute. We'll get and there we'll also get should be a contingency somewhere because some of those claims yeah. you're never going to get paid on. You know, yeah, it's a linkage uh, that maybe didn't happen, and then there's yeah. a you know a few yeah. million dollars sitting out there, and they become untimely. Yeah, that is all true. And and uh, and let, let me just say that normally, when a system does this, say UC does it or Sutter or John Muir, number one they probably issued some type of bonds. They've got a big stack of cash they, they can use. They've got a good credit rating. They've got stable operations, very solid cash flow, a lot of money in the bank, and they're 
ready to do this. And if bad things happen, sometimes they do. Even with UC, UC had a bad implementation. Sure. They've got a cushion. Okay, they've got capital reserves mm -hmm. so they can do it. We're sort of heading out, you know, over the Grand Canyon on a high wire without a safety net. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean it's very, very tight. So we just need to be aware of that. But, but you've got to at least disclose what those dollars and what that safety net should be in order for us yeah. to feel safe, right? Yes, and, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about is what okay. do we need to feel safe. And, and, and really, you know, this is a point where we need to have a conversation with our partners about... I was going to say that has to happen, you know, because we can't do uh, this, this, is, this without is not for the faint of, This is not for the faint of heart. Don't try this at us. home. No. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so the the variance in the negotiations is this primarily with the vendor? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but actually, I mean, uh, I think more than half the costs are not vendor-related costs. There are costs, and, and you know, so and, and right. when you tell ask people to work, you've got to pay them. So right, and that's yeah. what I was trying to get at. Yeah. How much of this is related to conversations we can have with Epic? Or, you know, right. Yeah, some, but not not a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's the cost. Now, this I think we'll get to. Um, David, explain. I, I'm sorry. Okay. What, what when you said there people that it's us who has to work? Give give me an example of what you're talking about. Uh, we have to hire a team of people, maybe eighty people, to build this system. Got it. Okay. And that's that, our cost, and we have to pay them. That's fine. I just I just needed to understand what it was. Yeah. So thank okay. you. Okay, so uh, this is to kind of recap the plan. What we said is, uh, whoops, very sorry. Uh, we're going to grow, okay, 4%, 3%. That's top-line revenue growth. We're going to move our margin from, um, actually I put 4.4 in here, but up to 5 and then 6%, okay, and that's going to generate this amount of cash. And then what we're going to do is um, we're going to identify all of our capital requirements, including the EMR, which is down here, 44, 73, those are the same numbers. That goes into this. This line goes up here, so that's our total capital. And then we add in everything else we know about philanthropy and everything else, and then we see if we've got enough money. Okay. And um, on this line, when we're talking about the days in AR, and the need to anticipate problems, we might want to come into this and say, you know, in the year we go live, we're probably going to need another $30 million right there. Right. We might get it back the next year because we'll get it, well, maybe not all of it, but, okay? But we might want to put another $30 million and be more conservative, okay? But let's set that aside for a minute. So even with that, uh, assuming we hit budget this year, we will have positive cash flow. And we're going to have some, some good things happen on supplemental reimbursement. Okay, that $120 million is going to come in. So we're going to have positive cash flow. We're going to, have, we're going to be $62 million positive. And, we're, and after we do that, we're going to end the year owing the county about $60 million. But then we're going to go into the meat of, this for, of, the, of the implementation, and our <coughs> capital expenditures are going to be really, really big, $116, $117 million. Okay. And even assuming that we hit this performance level here, the budget, we grow revenue and we hit a 5% margin, we're going to be short by $118 million. Okay, now we're going to have to borrow that money or do something to find that money. And I'll show you what it means in terms of where our line of credit is going to be. 
Uh, and then things get okay after that. So then we, so, so really this is the big year. I mean, we're, we're in a small deficit there, but then we're positive if we, if we do this plan, okay? So that's, that's now, if we can, if we manage the health system. Yeah, so, so if we do that plan, if we grow a little bit, and we, if we hit our margins and do the EMR as it's currently laid out and have no other disruptions with receivables, this is what we're going to need. So in 2019, we're going to need $160 million. The next year, 170 or so. And then it's going to go down. And, and this red line, of course, is the current agreement with the county. Okay, so we know that if we do this deal as planned, we're going to exceed this by some amount. So that means that we probably would, A, want to go back to the county and have a discussion about what this means and what our requirements are going to be, and maybe have discussions with other commercial parties about how we might close that gap. I'm wondering, how, how many scenarios have... I'm sorry, I don't mean... I, I've run a lot of scenarios. How many, so, the, what is the scenario, going back to the previous, about... Yeah. I, I'm trying to understand how, what evidence that you're going to have a 4.9 growth or for each of those years. So when you look out the years, the growth, and you, what evidence do you have that that's gonna that's gonna well, materialize? Well, that's, that's, that's the next question. I'll get to that in a second. So did you do scenarios? We did that. We did scenario. We did a multiple scenarios. The first one is, what level of performance would be required to make this thing work? And and you know there are scenarios that say you know uh, if for example. We had a six percent margin this year, and seven percent, and then eight percent. Then that problem goes away. In fact, this line here starts looking like this. Okay, which is I, I don't know if you recall, but back yeah, in but the, th those aren't problems that I that we but, need but to deal the, with. Then the so. question is, can you achieve that level of performance? That's exactly right. And I'm going to get to that in a second. Okay. But the an, the answer is, I did a lot of scenario planning and. You know, originally when we did the turnaround plan, we said we need to get up to eight to ten percent, mm -hmm. specifically for this reason. Right. Okay. Because this, we w we would now be down in this range right here, you know, going like this. Okay. But we didn't do that for good reasons. Okay. But here we are. Okay. Why are we financing a long-term capital project with a line of credit? Exxon because a line because of with, with a line uh, of we we do not have an independent. We can't credit. go to the county and ask for a 10-year amortized term loan. To, we, I, we, can, we can do anything we want, but do. we can do anything we want. But I mean, we do not, not have a credit rating. The, the bond market no, is really, do. yeah, they do. Right. We potentially could go to the county and say, you know, we, we may need this, and, and we'd like you to. I we may it. I would rather have. Yeah. I would rather have the even if we were doing eight yeah. percent EBITDA. Yeah. To have the have this an amortized project, capital project over ten or fifteen years, mm -hmm. so that the county knows they're going to get paid off, or whoever and, our creditor and that is, is and very, we can operate that is cash the common flow. that is a very common way to do things, and I think that's really the discussion that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Is this is a big project, two hundred million dollars? How do we you make know, that? We, happen? we can't do it out of operations. Well, we we as a as a board consider that issue. Say, you know, what do we think we need, and then. You direct management to open discussions. Well, I think the finance committee is agreeable to that, aren't yeah. we? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't see any other uh, option. 
You know, I also don't believe in spitting in the wind. So there's got to be some real reality here on what rationale. An amortizing you, term loan is a much safer loan for the county than a line of credit. Why do you think they will do that? Politically, why do you think that? I'm not opposed to doing it. Understand mm -hmm. that. But I think we need to have the conversation of what is it in the county's best interest to do that, and what are the political fallouts for supervisors who, in fact, agree to do that. A, we have to do it. If we, if, if we don't do it, we can't continue to operate as a health system if we don't have the Look, we don't you, have any Because MR. you want a state-of-the-art health care system for the community. And B, it is a safer bet to have an amortizing term loan for them that knows, okay, in 15 years, whatever it is, yeah. we're going to be paid off, and we'll be paid off monthly out of the cash flow of the organization versus the line of credit that we're praying for God and spitting in the wind to pay it down. Mm -hmm. Well, can I go back to even the state of the art? Yeah. I mean, if we don't do something with it, it's EHR, if we don't find a solution for our EHR problem, this is not even a state of the art issue. This is a, yeah. a survival. We can survive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, the, the long-term impact of this is going to hit us financially anyway. Right. Right. Not having this, a new EHR. Yeah, and, is really and not having at some it, point. I can tell you, not having this is very costly. Right. right. Oh, yes, we walk it, away. It from. takes much more man hours to do things. We mm -hmm. lose revenue. We, mm -hmm. It's a mess. Right. Yeah. So okay. So it's a it's a catch twenty two. I mean, it's, it's it is a catch twenty two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's a big project, and and we should be looking at is how do we finance this project because it, it is a multi year project. Well, back to Anthony's point, I think we have to revisit this and revisit yeah. how we're going to finance yeah. it and make sure we have the right argument sure. and the right discussion with the supervisors. Yeah. And we need, need to and do that now. what's the timeline, David? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, we, we would want to obviously uh, have this discussion before we sign an agreement with them. Which is supposed to yeah. happen in October, right? Uh, the, the current it's timeline is time. that we, we expected to bring this to you around November. We'd sign an agreement maybe in December, and we start the project in January, February. Well, it seems like there are a but, lot of moving parts here but, before we actually commit ourselves to an agreement. It doesn't mean that that's when it has to happen. We could, we could say, you know. I mean, there is an issue with the uh, expiration of the Cerner agreement in, I believe, it was 2020. But, you know, that's, we, we have a little bit of time to work with. But if we were to... But meaningful oh. use, we lose those dollars if we delay. Yeah, they're relatively, yeah, relatively yeah, small. If we're planning to sign a contract in October or November, we need to start discussing this now. Okay. Yeah, it's true. So okay. do you have authorization from us to do that? Do we need to go to the board in a week to do it? What do um, you need from the Finance Committee, I think, is agreement yeah, yeah. that we need to start talking to our apartments now, to our, our uh, partners now well, about I'll, options I'll defer for to Mike, but I think it's just directing us to do that is sufficient. So. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. All right. So now we're going to switch. So, so that was a question of um, if we implement the plan, what does it look like in terms of how much credit we need? Now I want to turn to the question of do we have confidence that we can implement that plan and achieve that level of performance, which was Michelle's other question. Uh, so um, critical issues, better negotiations, land, three other sources of funding, and then the forecast. Okay. The, so w what we did is I, I took the, the budget and I created a financial planning model. And um, I tried to identify and drill down and identify what are the really critical things that have to happen, the big assumptions, mm -hmm. to achieve the level of financial performance that we said we need. Okay? And these are them, growth, revenue cycle, reimbursement, capitation, 
staffing productivity, wages and benefits, and other operational efficiencies. There are probably some other ones like position productivity is a big one, but I didn't build it into that yet. It's something we'll obviously try to work on. So I want to talk about that, each of those in some detail. Um, so, and again, this is the, um, this is just the metric report, and the reason I put this up here is um, it's sort of the summary of everything. But what it said was, if we, and this is a result of all the modeling, if we just sort of maintain the status quo, about the best we can expect is a 4% EBITDA margin, not 456, but 444, okay? And that produces, in terms of snare plans, some really negative numbers. I mean, it looks like, okay, all of a sudden you need $250 million. Mm -hmm. So, but then we said, if we, if we, uh, if management pursues some improvement initiatives in these areas, we think we can get to um, this level of performance. We think we can go to, um, let's see, 7.9, uh, 6, 6, basically 6. We think we can meet or achieve the target of 6%, okay? So what I'm going to do next is, is to talk to you about the ways we could do that, the things that would have to happen for us to do that, okay? Uh, and again, uh, this is this is a summary that we'll go to detail about market share, reimbursement, revenue cycle, capitation, productivity, wages, and then other initiatives, okay? Okay, so the first thing is growth. Now I mentioned, I'm gonna say this over and over again, it is much easier for growing, okay? Now if we go back and look at our revenue growth, you know, 2016, 24%, 17, 5%, uh, 18, the budget is 9%. Okay, and then forward, going forward, we're saying we want 6, 5, 4, 4, 4. Well, I want to give you an idea of where that comes from. So revenue growth is a function of volume, okay, normal rate increases that we get from payers, and then improvement in the revenue cycle. Okay, now we've had some big improvements in the revenue cycle, 13, 8, 5, and this year we're planning on, uh, I'm sorry, uh, assuming in 19, 3%, 2%, 1%. So the opportunities are starting to go away. That's right. Cause okay. You, you, because you've done quite a bit. Yeah, and I, I think we're actually up to, you know, maybe 94, 95% of everything we can get, given the volume, okay? But that's still a lot of money. 1% is 10 million a year. Uh, I don't know if you recall, but back in 16, we grew actually by 8%. Now in 17, we declined, and, but this year we did grow. This is using uh, patient days, 2.7%. And then, so it's very important going forward that we grow. Okay, so we have to understand our volume situation, market share. We have to have a plan to do that. And that's why we're gaining this tool, going to do the analysis, continue to work on opening up access to clinics and discharges and throughput plans and all that. We've got to grow. When will that plan be back? I think in two, three months. That's, yeah. that's of no help. Well, I mean, we can't, we can't commit to the EM, we can't afford the EMR based on our operations as of this moment. And our expense structure at this moment, we won't have an idea about our revenue and our decline of, um, Patience for three months, and yet you're wanting us to commit in two months. Well, I don't want to speak for Schwartz. 
as far as understanding the market share analysis, uh, we are waiting on Oshpod data. And that data is a function of when it's released from Oshpod. They usually are lagging behind in eight, by 18 months. Okay. We have done uh, the analysis that David has mentioned using eSpay data which does not include uh, market share by payers. It's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison about the services we provide compared to the services other health systems provide to see if we're losing that share. So we need that nuance for us to really delve into it to understand where we are losing potentially market share. We, we, uh, David is 100% correct. The discharges in East Bay are going up, and we know that overall, for East Bay, for the overall analysis, we are getting some leading indicators to show that our market share is declining. Mm -hmm. But we need that nuanced perspective by payer, apples to apples comparison for us to understand that. And for that, we're waiting on Oshpod data. And that data, I'm told even as of yesterday, will be released sometime in September. We are not told exactly when. But as soon as we get that, we have this tool, we can get to work and understand exactly which services at which facility um, and uh, what our market share trends are by pair. Once we do that, then we have to develop a plan that de de depends, that then addresses how we would mitigate any of our market share losses. So it's really a two-step process. One is the analytics that helps us delve into the data and understand, uh, you know, really what where the issues are. And the second step is then for us to get together as a team and determine what we would do with it. And the, the SG2 is a tool that uses the Oshpot data to allow Yes, you they to do. The they, they not only look at market share, they also help us forecast if we didn't do any growth strategies, if we were just status quo, then how would our market share go up or down based on diseases, based on epidemiological factors, based on our demographics, based on all that, they do a prediction. If you continue on the same trend, it, three years from now, what's going to happen to our discharges? Um, and that's, the, you know, as far as I know, is one of the leading tools that we can use to help us um, understand some of those dynamics a little better. And clinic access is, has got to be a big part of the equation. Big if you can increase yeah. the access yeah. to the yeah. clinics, you're going to increase your inpatient volumes as um, well. So. I, I, I am going to give you um, a quick heads up as far as outpatient market share. Uh, it is a black box. We, there is no tool that I'm aware of that gives you 100% insight into outpatient market share. Nope. Uh, this analysis that I'm speaking about is strictly for inpatient, uh, but we can uh, obviously look at trends which we're doing across our clinics to understand how access then impacts the clinic visit volumes and how we would increase that, mm -hmm. which is a focus you also see developed that, in the dashboard. That was what I was going to say, is our access right now yeah. is, is not it is not conducive to that kind of growth. Um, so there has to be something significantly changed with access, which means either more people, mm -hmm. which expenses go up. So I, I really understand that catch-22. Um, I'm sorry, I just need to say that. Yeah, and, and this tool is analytics to help you understand the problem. But even absent that, I mean, we can develop a plan to improve access. Well, and I think it's productivity as well, right? Yeah, You've got yeah. to look at productivity yeah. as well as, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and don't think that nothing's being done here. Oh, no, no, no. no, 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 no. no one's yeah. looking at it. Okay. No. But, I mean, if we're, if we're QPSC, we've had, the, we've had those presentations and, yeah. and the kind of stuff that they're doing at QPSC about getting, getting folks into the clinics. Yeah. I mean, so I know that, that there's work going on. It, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, 
1% growth, we're important that we should be able to get 2% just because that's what happens. And then, but these, this is not to be overlooked. I mean, this is hard to get. This is uh, 30 million, 20 million, 10 million, so $60 million of in improvement and another one one there. So it's, that's a lot to get. Okay, so that's the plan there. Supplemental reimbursement, we need to maximize it. Now this is what we know about supplemental reimbursement. The reason this is yellow is this would be the new waiver. Right now, this goes away. So we don't really know what's gonna happen here. That's just kind of a wild card, okay? That, that could be, could be, you know, half. We could get all, I don't know what's gonna happen. We, we could lose 30 or 40 million dollars overnight right there, okay? More on that. Now, capitation, this is new, okay? Our strategy says we want to be a manager of population health. What that means is we would take financial risk for blocks of populations. We would get paid on a fixed payment per month, which is called PMPM, and then we would manage that care. So we, we said, let's, figure, let's do a rough estimate. So we said, okay, well, in the first year, if we take financial risk for 50,000 lives and we negotiate a contract and we get paid $90 per member per month and we're able to control their costs, so it's 88, then we get, we'd have a profit surplus of $2 per member per month and at 50,000 lives, that's worth a million, $1.2 million. We keep growing, growing, growing. By the time we get to the end, 90,000, we're taking, this is sort of like a physician cap. If we take the, put the hospital cap into it as well, make a profit, then that potentially could be around $3 million of extra income per year. Now, obviously we need to have a lot of work to do on that, but we're actually working on this right now. We're um, in discussions with the payer and we're looking at using an actuary who specializes in the Medi-Cal market to understand what the utilization of our population is and what it really costs and where we might be able to add value in the uh, you know, adjustment to the care, co care coordination of these patients to produce a profit. So, more to come on that, but we do have that in the plan right now. Is it going to be full cap or just primary care cap? We haven't got there yet. Uh, probably start with primary care cap, but we want to we want to understand the entire uh, utilization and cost experience of this population. Okay, and we're thinking that things like. <coughs> Leakage, uh, you know, to out-of-network providers or you know, a big cost. Or, you know, so. David, we're out of time. Um, okay, I can finish. What do quickly. we need to do? We do not have a health system that is configured to support this project. We do not have financing conducive to supporting the project based on the configuration of the health system, and we're two months away from trying to execute a contract. How do we get? Do we have to redo the 2018 budget? Do we need to bring in someone to help us with our expenses? We certainly need to talk to the county tomorrow about what our options are and what the political appetite is to helping us. Well, this is this the, the intent tonight is to really educate everybody, get us on the same page about what has to happen. Now, I think that you know the management team, you know, has met on this. Is that this is what we intend to do? I'd like to finish a couple more things. I'm almost done. Okay. Uh, but then we need to uh, start refining these projections and to the extent that there are uh, issues or concerns about, you know, can we do this? And we, we could come back and give you more information about how we, how we expect to do that. 
but there's just a few more things that are important. Okay. I, I think you do Please. need to understand the plan. No, no. I so we need to grow, maximize supplemental reimbursement, get into capitation. Now, uh, staffing and productivity. So two-thirds of our costs are labor. Um, so the labor cost has to do with how many employees we have, which is also a function of volume, and then how much they're paid in terms of their total compensation package. So let's talk, break those into pieces. So here's the history on our paid FTEs. Uh, and typically what happens is that um, the FTEs will grow, if our volume grows about 1%, then our FTEs will grow half a percent because we have a lot of fixed costs. So we made an assumption that if we grow 1%, then our labor would grow half percent a year. And, but then we had a discussion that said, you know, we need to have incremental improvements in productivity every year. So we said that we would put in a productivity improvement factor of half a percent a year. So we would get more efficient based on volume every year, and that would result in an overall flat um, FTE growth. So rather than going up, you know, whatever that is, um, couple hundred FTEs a year, it would be flat, okay? That's a big assumption. Uh, and this is kind of giving you historically what happened. You see we had uh, volume-related growth here of 4% because we had more volume. We had productivity improvements because we were holding the FTEs down and then on out. Now, the next thing we did is said, okay. David, how does, that, how does the productivity relate and your percentage relate to the the growth in uh, patient. I'm trying to. What are those two? Okay, lengths? so I, I'm missing that. So if our if our volume grows one percent, normally we our FTEs would grow by half a percent. So and that's probably going to happen too. But then we're going to say, you know what? But we're going to get more efficient. We're going to find some way to offset that normal growth with some type of efficiency gains. Okay. So, which means that effectively... So don't you need a higher uh, efficiency percentage, a target? Um, we can debate what the target should be. Uh, a half a percent is, you know, not, not um, overly conservative. I think 1% would be aggressive. I don't know. You know. Okay. Yeah, and again, it has to do with volume. If you're growing, it's a lot easier to get efficiency. So we were... We were growing here, okay, in that year. We grew like 8% in terms of volume. Okay, so normally we would have increased FTEs 4%, so that imputes that there was a, an efficiency gain of about, whatever it is, 6% for the year. So all this becomes easier if you're growing. But the, the point is what we're saying is okay. status quo is not an option. We're going to have to have a productivity improvement process. Uh, then we looked at the wages and benefits and said, well, how, how much is our annual wages changing year to year. Here's what's happened. Um, and we said, well, what, what really goes into that? Well, several things. First is there are wage increases built into contracts, averaging about 3% a year. People get step increases, which adds about 1%. But then we have turnover. So uh, older employees retire, younger employees are hired, and they typically get hired at a lower rate. So that's worth, that, that'll actually reduce the rate by about half a percent. Uh, and then the mix changes, okay? So we have maybe more of one class of employees, less of another. 
what we determined is that going forward, uh, we really need to find a way to improve this by about half a percent a year. Because otherwise, we're going to see a 3.5% average wage growth, we think. And we think it needs to be more like 3%, which means there needs to be an intervention. There needs to be a strategy uh, to deal with our salaries and benefits. I mean, we have, um, I probably don't want to get into too much detail here, but we have classes of employees that get the same compensation benefits whether they're in an acute care hospital or a different environment. And that, that may be something we have to deal with. Okay. Uh, and then finally, uh, oh, Eileen, we said we need to really find about half a percent a year, starting I think in that the next year, 2019. We need to start uh, producing return on investment from that, and then just find other operational efficiencies uh, throughout the organization. So what we're saying is, we think the combination of uh, market share and growth analysis, revenue cycle improvement, um, staffing productivity. Uh, wage and benefits, and then op lean operational improvement is enough to to help us hit that you know four five six uh, even a target, and, and maybe do a little bit better. But that's what would need to happen uh, to make this whole thing work. Okay, and so that's really the end. And um, so this is where you can give us direction. But that's that's our current plan. Chair, can I make a request? I feel that when we have our board meeting on the 14th, usually. You know how um, we discuss this in great detail at, at the finance, but then it's just as a written, and if there's any discussion, I feel the full board needs to hear this. And I also feel that very key, Delvecchio is not here today. I would have loved to have spoken to our, you know, other CAOs about like the July numbers, why like the community hospitals saw that, our EBITDA was 1.5, but why? And so all of these are things that we need to understand a little bit more if we feel gets, gain some degree of confidence about the feasibility of all of these, you know, uh, plans. So we need to have some time to. Yeah, I would. To have I would even argue, and I know we're up against a time, a time, and and Anthony's passion and anxiety about this. I, I read that, and I, I understand. My is going down for the count. Yeah, no, I, I do understand that, but um, I don't think that the 14th is enough time, frankly. And so, what happens if this becomes the agenda for the retreat and? we spend the entire time talking about this issue because there are so many questions here that I think need to be discussed. I would love to see the various scenarios. And so you've put up scenarios mm -hmm. and and I know you tend to be conservative, but I would like to see a scenario of the worst case possible yes. kinds of things based on some of the stuff that we've been seeing and where we are with that. Um, the thing that I think politically, if in fact we go to the county and we can persuade that issue, we need to be on really solid ground that we're not going to go back hand in hand, you know, uh, asking for additional dollars. I think we all lose credibility. The, the amount of time that this issue takes to really understand on the part of a board because of the dollar amount we're investing, I really think that we need to postpone this and have this be a full retreat discussion. Despite the fact that I understand we're in negotiations, I just don't think we need uh, unless you unless you call a special a spe some kind of special board meeting, which I think getting an entire board on short notice to do that I think is really difficult. 
And I agree with you about 100%. I, I think this, this topic is so important to this board and to, to the entire system that, that we're going to need that time. But the other important point that you just made is, is I think we need to know what is that safety net amount mm -hmm. that we're going to need. And that's mm -hmm. not really included in any of this. Right. And I think when you go to the county, you're going to have to include that contingency mm -hmm. as well because I think we are going to see some additional costs that maybe we didn't anticipate that, you know, things always go wrong during these implementations Wait. and you have to have some fun there so that you're prepared for it. You know, we didn't talk about the, um, you say philanthropy, but we haven't identified what those potential philanthropies could be. Um, the When you talk about marginal improvements and some of the efficiencies, I would really like to know specifically what management is thinking relative to some of those efficiencies. I mean, I think there are a whole lot of questions, and mm -hmm. well, I, I can say without hesitation that the confidence I have in the people who are around this table and our CEO who is absent at this point, I, I know you're working hard, but I, I, I think in terms of accountability, we need to see it and ask the questions and fully understand what the implications are relative to here. Because it may well be that this board stands up and says, and I don't want people to get nervous about it, but as an example, that salary increases are such that we're going to be flat for a while, or we're going to need to do some layoffs to be efficient. We're, I mean, there are a whole lot of scenarios that are ugly scenarios, but sometimes those things have to occur in order to get us into a position because we need this project. I mean, there's no question we need the project. Yeah, yeah. Um, can this discussion wait until the end of October, or do we need to commit a board meeting to it in two weeks? Or I just the don't think of October, or it's question not a statement. Uh, I, given given people's calendars, I think it would be unrealistic to get the the nine of us together. But there are two more board meetings before that's the, what we were thinking. The well, if you take everything off the agenda, that, then mm -hmm. possibly because well, I the think second meeting of the because I think you do. I th well, I think you need three, four hours to mm -hmm. discuss this. So I don't think this is an hour and a half discussion. No. Well, well our board meetings never last an hour and a half, so we're always three anyway. So why not? But you have other up? items on the agenda, so I'm not. Well, someone better. If be you fair. guys, if you guys can do it at another board meeting, I'm fine. But I think well, what we, we need have to understand. Is, this is way too much. How do I put it diplomatically? It's not my trait. We need a much more distilled approach to how we're going to do this. Right. There are so many assumptions in here that it's not logical for us as a board to try to interpret it. Someone's got to give us some data points and some plans that we can look at. Scenario one, scenario two, scenario three. And based on our last few months operate, uh, operating performance, you know, and hopefully my, maybe in a week we'll have August, um, you know, that has to come into play. We can't spend another hour um, talking about coulda, woulda, shoulda. And I'd rather give staff the opportunity and the time to pull together the information that I think is necessary to make a really informed decision. And I don't want to push that into a board meeting in two weeks or four weeks when we really need to give staff the, the, the time to get that information together. And I think this is the biggest decision we're going to be making for probably the next several years. So. I do too. So I think, you know, I'd rather not feel rushed into anything, and I'd rather feel that we certainly have had all the information we need in order to make a, a truly informed decision. 
Okay. Okay. Clear enough instructions? Yeah. We done? Uh, there was a uh, space planning issue. But, um, no, no, I'm talking about the next item on system oh, okay. space assessment, which uh, Luis has. Thank you, David. You're welcome. Thank you, David. Thanks, Mr. Schwartz. May I ask the chair of the audit committee for some indulgence in maybe having 10 minutes of your time to yes, finish my meeting? I apologize. All right, so this, this was something that dates back several months. That at one point, you had asked us to share with you what our philosophy was and how we were managing space. This was really, I think, tied to the request we made several months ago for the additional space lease out at the System Support Center. Part of that, during that time, we were doing some work. So what we're planning to do here today in a very uh, concise presentation, we want to share with you the history of kind of how we got to where we're at today. Uh, the assessment that was completed and, 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 uh, and documented by our consultants, as well as the tool that we've implemented to track this progress moving forward, uh, the, the, the revamping of our space committee, some of the things that we've accomplished, so the work that's been ongoing, and the next steps for future needs. Uh, so just to kind of start framing the history for uh, our space planning, uh, it, several, a couple years ago, our hospital, the old hospital, closed. Uh, and, and we transitioned into the new uh, acute care tower. This caused a displacement of over 200 employees that were in little spaces and in different areas within that old building that they had no longer any space or room for in the new facility. So we had to take all those individuals and move them, relocate them out. That resulted in the lease of the 12th floor of the system support center and that was the initial relief valve. On top of that, we took a lot of those employees and moved them across the system. We placed them, we have a lot of them in Fairmount, we have a lot of them in some of the other sites of, of, of our system trying to accommodate that need. Since then, we've had also some, some growth. We've seen uh, services that were previously contracted, which were being done off-site by somebody else, now are being done in-house. So therefore, we need to find space for those individuals. We've had some new departments and we've had some expansions in the departments due to some of the growth. Uh, so again, those were some of the drivers for uh, needing additional space. We then, uh, in, in early 2017, January 2017, we uh, came to the board for uh, approving a, a, a contract with Toyon Consulting to help us do a space, thorough space inventory. They were already working with us doing their space assessment for the OSHPOT reporting and the work that they do for finance, but we wanted for them to go ahead and go into more detail to really let us know exactly who's where. So they actually did a body and seat type of assessment where they went and looked at, you know, Luis is in office 3702, you know, or something, you know, everyone really defined to that level of detail. So they did a complete physical review of all AHS space across the entire system, and they created this inventory that we're able to, to reflect and, and demonstrate now. We then purchased a space management tool called Bluebeam, uh, which, uh, will, which allows us to now keep this ongoing inventory, and it's a living document that as things change within the system, because there's always moves, ads, and changes. As those things happen, we're able to update the system and not find ourselves in a position where we really didn't have a good sense of who was where, what was where, what was available, what was necessary, so on and so forth. So this tool provides us a snapshot in time. So I mean, as, as we update it on a regular basis, a living document, 
we can at any given point in time go into the system, see exactly where we're at, what we have available. And it offers multiple benefits as far as you know, space planning, real-time utilization of space, and how we can really better manage our team. So with that, um, I'd like to first present uh, our director, system director facilities, Mike Zarzicki. He was the one that was instrumental really working with Toyon, getting this all up and running. And we actually want to take a few, a few seconds here to give you a live demo of that system, of what we, how it works. Hello. So this is uh, primarily um, kind of a construction um, industry software, but we found that we could utilize it for this uh, space management um, tool. And so what, what it does is actually incorporate floor plans like you see here with data. And so um, each office or each cubicle in the software has a line of data associated it, associated with it, saying essentially, you know, the employee that's there, the division they work within, the department, their room number. Um, we actually have square footage measurements associated with these um, spaces, and um, and we can use this as we assign people to new spaces or need to find available space within the system. So you went to all all facilities within our system. Yes. So this is all facilities in our yes, system. Yes, this is an example of one yes, level. Yes, no, I get that. I just want to make certain plan, that yeah. the study was all facilities in yeah. our system. And so now we have this data associated with every floor of every building across the system. Mm -hmm. And it's actually searchable as well. So um, you can search in here for anything from a conference room, and it would just automatically highlight where they are, to, for example, we could search Ishwari, and it would show where her office is on this plan. And we're using this now to manage space, um, new space requests. And um, this tool is used from everything uh, to approve IT to go in and reprogram phones, for facilities to make moves. Um, for It's basically the tool we use to, to manage space now. And I think the, the benefit that I'd like to highlight that Luis mentioned is historically in this organization and many others, an inventory is done. And from, from the next day forward, it's no longer accurate. Right. And this right. provides us a means to manage it ongoing um, so that at any given point, we can go in here and say, we have this need or. What's the name of this tool? Sorry, Mike. It's Bluebeam. Bluebeam? And it's a software. Okay, Bluebeam software. Okay. And so it's not actually made to do what we're doing with it, but we found this tool <laughs> could do what we want to do with it. Random question. Yeah. Those green things are the floating offices, like you had hotel or something yes. of there. So those are just empty spaces for folks who are moving from site to site that they might need to come have a desk to work. Correct, in. correct. So if, if David goes to work at SSC to you know spend some time with his team, there's an office that he can use there. Mm -hmm. Also, there there may be that they, you know there's a that uh, finance has a contractor or a consultant that's in just for a day that they need to sit in a space. Mm -hmm. That's what the green cubicles are for. So we've identified in all of our locations. We always try to account a hotel space for again anyone that's coming in specifically for a particular period of time okay. so again this is very 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 helpful it's been a, a great resource a great tool for us and it really guides and informs the work that we're doing as a committee so now if I can go back to the presentation so wanted to, to share that with you guys. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Um, so then what, what did we do? We revamped our space committee. We developed a, a space committee that uh, identified 
what are the key principles and how space is allocated via the system. All space belongs to the system, contrary to popular belief. People think that their office belongs to them. It doesn't, it belongs to the system. Okay. So we wanted to make sure that we, we made those things clear. This is the composition of the committee. Uh, all of, you know, as you can see, the, the, the executives are part of the committee as well as all the CAOs and several system leaders that really make things happen across uh, all sites. We revised our policy and our charter. Our key focus was to create efficiencies within department consolidations, looking at how we can bring people together. Uh, we also wanted to look at synergies between departments. We want, you know, so for example, you have um, legal and contracts close together. They're always dealing with different issues and working closely together. Before, legal was pretty much everywhere and contracts was in the SSC. Mm -hmm. Well now, you will see in a, in a couple slides here and a slide here that uh, they're all together. Uh, we've created a process for new requests. So again, for building controls to make sure that things aren't just happening. People were, uh, I think it was, as they say, the old famous squatters rights, right? If they just, you know, positions have the battle, they would just find the space, they take it, they occupy it. And so now we've put controls in place. We have a form, it has to be reviewed and, and signed off by the executive sponsors. We have to look at all the space and other pending requests and see which one, you know, is, is, is of higher priority. We make those difficult decisions. And IT and, uh, and uh, the move support has been now limited to where nothing happens unless it's been signed off and approved by the committee and the team. And that's great because people can't do much without a phone or computer or, and they really don't want to move their own stuff. So that's a mechanism and a control that we've put in place to make sure we manage that and mitigate that. Uh, and then we've messaged the new process, we've communicated across the system what the expectations are, what we're doing, and really communicating that we're gonna have to make some difficult decisions. Someone that was traditionally in a single or private office may have to start sharing an office, you know, just based on the principles and the requirements. So is that, that system able to generate work orders as well? I'm sorry? IT? Is the system able to generate the work orders for IT and others to come in? And not not the Bluebeam, uh, yeah, so, no, not the software, no. But we do that internally as part of our process. So once we use, we use the tool really as the inventory tool to really guide and see exactly what we have and allow us to leverage the space. But also, but then from that point, we're using the, the, the committee and the forms that we've established as the mechanism to go ahead and drive those work orders. Do, does Bluetooth also, no, it's not Bluetooth. Bluebeam. Bluebeam, Blue sorry. <laughs> um, does Bluebeam also do the furniture, file cabinets, telephones, that kind of equipment? No, it does not have an equipment inventory. But now, uh, but but we do know that IT does have an asset inventory, and they, you know, so as 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 a space is assigned, so they've assigned this office to Luis. IT has an inventory of what phone, what extension, what computer terminal, what's assigned to Luis. And, and file cabinets are that's a thing of the past. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think file, file cabinets no, are not, a thing of the past. Sorry, sorry. I'm, I don't think so. I'm old. I'm old. This is the file cabinet right here. Yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. That was so. That's okay, what else do we need to know about? I just wanted to. Sh uh, so we'll just walk you through here very quickly. So again, we've we've uh, recently approved the 11th floor. We are uh, consistent with our charter and our policies. We've lumped or we've brought in uh, some departments that work closer together. So we combined legal, contracts, compliance, and risk and accreditation. Again, trying to get them all closer together, working with synergies. And on the 12th floor, we reallocated some of the space that was vacated, and we brought together 
quality human resources, finance, and medical staff provider enrollment. So now we were able to fit all these people that were in disparate locations all in one location working closely together. And then in, in Fairmont, we, we were able to co-locate uh, some of the finance departments that we're still, again, some of these are current work in progress. So this is what it looks like. So this is directly from that Bluebeam software. So it's just to give you a visual of, of what this, you know, now you've got the red is contracts, the yellow is legal, the orange is grants, and then the purple is risk and accreditation. So that, you know, kind of shows all these departments that have synergies working closer together and, uh, and uh, all on the same place. So that's how we occupied the 11th floor, which then freed up some space for us to backfill on the 12th floor of the SSC, where we're maximizing the use of that space, which is this is what the 12th floor looks like now. So all of that red is finance. All of them are all contiguous and working together. We've got uh, the purple, which is all medical staff up on top. Quality is that light orange and then the entire blue section is HR. So now everyone is all together versus before there were people just kind of scattered throughout the, the area. And then this is what we're doing down in Fairmont uh, with revenue integrity and pro fee. So this is professional fee. So this is again a work in progress. We're actually, we're currently working on these moves to affect these moves, but we're moving forward, we're making good progress here. So what are the next steps? The next steps is we're, as, as David mentioned, we have an EHR uh, implementation team that we'll need to make sure we have identified space for. This number can range from 80 to 120 people to, to launch this process. So we're, we're looking at what alternatives there are. I have been meeting and I've had several discussions with uh, Kaiser where they have indicated that there's a possibility that they may have some space available for us that we can leverage for this type of support, which would be great. But I'm also looking at other alternatives, other options that we can consider for the duration of the project. Why can't um, they go to Fairmont? Huh? Why can't they go to Fairmont? Well, because we don't currently have the space out at Fairmont. But we're moving a ton of people to San Leandro Hospital. We are, we are moving, we're moving people from, well, we're moving the inpatient rehab facility from Fairmont to San Leandro, but that won't happen until late 2019. Okay. And, and then that space is not necessarily conducive to the work that needs to be done. I mean, we can, you know, certainly explore that, but uh, right I now there's we, can, we can't release another grade A, class A space, floor space to put people in. So hopefully you're being creative about it. Go ahead. We need to get out of here. Okay. Uh, and again, as you, as, as you can see here, we've got the, uh, the, the different groups that are supporting the EHR. We've got a primary care expansion, again, talking about the volume and, the, and, and access. Uh, issues we need to deal with. We're looking at our dental uh, clinic, which will free up some space here on this campus, as well as the work that we're doing out at uh, Alameda with the primary care clinic, which is one of our key focus areas this year. And then looking at this third floor here, this is prime real estate here on the third floor, that there's been some discussions that well, what would make the most sense and how we can make this a clinical space where we can expand access to our clinics. So again, work that's still being reviewed and evaluated, things that we need to do. So that's all I wanted to share. It's just that's a great. high level update just to let you know that we do have a process. We no, put right. parameters around how we do this work, how we're managing our space, doing our due diligence. To your point, Anthony, that we, we need to make sure we're, we're leveraging every single space we have available before we have to consider anything else. Right. Perfect. Thank you very much. This is very helpful. Yeah. Mr. Cox, is Bernadette Jensen here going to give a report on one of the action items? Uh, Bernadette is um, <clears throat> um, actually um, out on a slight medical issue right now. Okay. But uh, I can report on these if you want. Is, is it possible just to summarize these in a quick document and send it to us? I can. Is that okay? Yes, I mean, I if it's more efficient for you to run us through it in two minutes, then it's fine over a 20-minute memo. You, you, make the, you make the call. Uh, why don't you just, just let me write it up. I'll send it in the normal Friday. Thing. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, any other business? 
January. Oh, thank you very much. I didn't write it down. Um, we're looking at the calendar for January, and we're proposing holding the meeting like we did last year on the second Thursday of uh, the month of January versus the first week in January so we can get uh, our holidays spirit done with. Is that okay with everyone? So we'll be looking at the 11th. That's fine. And, and that would be before the... It'd be before a board meeting at 3.30. So it would be a 3.30 to 5 meeting, and then 5 meeting to 5. Mm -hmm. Before the board meeting. Is that yeah, right? Perfect. Thank you very much, Mr. Moore. Is that okay with me? Yeah, it's fine okay. with me. Okay. Uh, no other business. I would love to have a motion to adjourn. Move to adjourn. Second. Follow anyone opposed? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. Sorry for the delay.